Good evening, everybody. Locked on Browns with your host, Jeff Lloyd, here. As we you know, sit down, we're getting closer and closer, guys. 17 days away from round one. Uh, we'll get to that. You know, Obviously, you know, some people have thought, oh, maybe round one, whatever. We'll find some other plans. Uh, you know, Adam Schefter brings us to something that maybe you might want to be a little bit more intent to it. But we're going to get you through your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound here this evening with Pete Smith. Um, Pete, I, I guess you, you got. I guess we'll start with it. And look, I mean, Schefter's teasing a podcast, and I get it. And it's not like when you're at 49, and you know, you maybe have one remaining need that you'd like to. It, it's not that far off the wall. But I mean, everybody they want names. What would draw John Dorsey to get back in to round one? Um, guys, one thing, a lot of you were like trying to package this up. Don't forget about potentially using the 2020 first round pick. I remember uh, years ago, I, it was the Redskins, and I'm trying to think, I don't know, Bobby Beathard or whatever, and he did it like three years in a row. Just traded away next year's first round pick, got back into the first round. Next year, traded away first round's pick, got in the first, you know. It's it's a method. I mean, and you can do it. Whatever. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts here. Part of the reason why I do still think Duke Johnson is going to get you a better return of your investment if you want to jump in the draft as opposed to just straight up for a pick or anything in that scenario. But Pete, the people want names. What would draw? What would be? Who would be the targets? What, who fell? You know, who who was still available that would draw them to get up and get back in? probably the 25 to 32 range well i mean presumably it'd be you know either justin laner or a guy like chauncey gardner johnson that you don't don't think is going to make it you know to the 49th pick and you you want to get back in the first round i don't think it's a likely scenario i think it's prohibitively expensive and i don't see a scenario where you're looking to trade a 2020 first uh to do it uh i just don't think there's enough value there even though you can make the case that you know, you're saying, well, Dorsey's been aggressive on A, B, and C. You know, he may be very inclined to keep going with that vibe and, you know, try to get back up there and, and get a specific player to sort of, you know, complete this process. And I suppose there are scenarios where that could be realistic. I just don't think it's in this draft class. I think, you know, there are other classes where it would make more sense than this one. But those are the two you know, that stand out unless somebody, you know, free falls like, you know, God forbid, you know, Ed Oliver, you know, oh, he's too small. We, we don't believe he can do it. And he, he starts free falling or, or something along those lines. Uh, those are the only two names that really come to mind for me. Uh, I can't really think of another weird scenario that could really happen. Uh, I, I think the, you know, the, the guys that we really like, are going to go even f- faster than we initially thought, other than defensive back. Um, I mean, I agree. Obviously, you know, Lane, Chauncey Gardner, Johnson. Uh, we think you know Thornhill. It, it could be certainly be in range in forty nine. I guess the one thing that would maybe be interesting would be offensive tackles. And as you know, Schefter put this out there. <clears throat> some people saying that you might now see a nice little run on the offensive tackles, where they're going to go. Um, obviously. You, I, we value Andre Dillard a lot higher than maybe some other people do. Uh, Jeff Risden actually put him at 49 today in the mock he did. So, you know, Jeff, obviously a guy we respect. Jeff's cool. We're not going to pick on Jeff. Wait, we like Jeff. Yeah, he had Dillard at 49? Going to the Browns today in a mock he did, yes. 
So yeah, that would be another one. Because to like, me, yeah. Dillard, Dillard, to, to me, look, I, 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 I keep giving hints at this. My top fifty players, Dillard is going to be three or four. Like that's where he is. He might be three. Uh, in fact, he's probably gonna be three because he's cleaner than the other one. Like he's phenomenal. He has everything you could possibly want. He is James Campen's wet dream as an offensive tackle project that could play right now. But given a year to prep, uh, yeah, that like a and I, nothing against Risden. Like that'd be great. Don't get, if, if the Browns can get him at forty nine, that'd be fantastic. Changes but everything. I, yeah, I think. You know, to me, like I said, to me, he's going to be the third player overall on my board. Um, I think the only thing is, is, you know, you're going to have to, you know, there's some things he's going to have to learn because he's obviously, you know, Mike Leach obviously does things a little bit different. There's some things he's going to have to learn you know, in that respect. But, I mean, you could say right away, all right, Greg Robinson will still play left tackle. We'll have him play right in, who knows, by week eight or week nine, he may be ready. We may not move him. But, you know, so, I mean, that would be, that would be a name that would be interesting, you know, who got to... 25 uh defensive tackle class i i think we're pretty sure this is it's going to run like it's going to run and nobody of significant value is going to be there you know in that range um if you start seeing some other cornerbacks go off the board and justin lane is a guy that you value in i mean and pete and i cannot stress this enough he is the perfect running mate for denzel ward it's it's just too damn good and the thing is is he fits the mold of what John did for his first, I guess, what is it now, almost 16 months on the job. Other than Denzel Ward, he wanted long corners. And, you know, he, he was willing to sacrifice some things, but he wanted length. He wanted to be able to create turnovers. He wanted to be able to tackle. He is the perfect guy. And look, you know, and the more and more mocks I see from the bigger names who it's not just their evaluation, it's also what they're being told. Look, I talked to scouts. Pete talks to some scouts. These guys talk to more than any of us and you start to see more and more mock drafts where Justin Lane is not going within the top 32 selections that's that that, that is ringing a bell for me in spades yes I can't let the dream die as much as I think there's a just because I guess it's because you know I think we think he's the number one cornerback in this class so to think he would be available a after 25 or even to go into round two and have that 16 hour window where he is still sitting there it, it, it just seems a little BS crazy to me, but, you know, bat, not bull. It seems a little BS crazy to me in that respect. It's just, I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, I, it could be one of the safeties, but I think in more probability, whether it's Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, whether it is, <clears throat> obviously, Juan Thornhill, whether it is Darnell Savage, I think you have a real probability of one of those three, three names being there at 49. You know, the cornerback class, it, look, it... it if the safety is going to be there at 49, the quarterback cornerback class can dry up. But if you want the perfect dude and you, know, you guys, whether it's Ohio State guys or you always like a little local flavor to the team, you can't be going with one of your own. So, I mean, it's going to be one of those names unless, you know, if if a quality offensive tackle is there and if it is a guy like Dillard, that changes a lot, a lot of things. And it mixes up your draft board. And, yeah, I mean, that's where, you know, if it was Dillard, sure, bring 2020 first-round pick into effect because – now you're bringing in hopefully what should be your next franchise left tackle. Still with us, Pete? Yeah. Okay. No, I I, I agree. <laughs> that's 
it, well, normally, it, well, when I say things, normally you're so quick to counterpoint. I got a little nervous there. No, I mean, look, <laughs> if, you, if you get Andre Dillard, you're getting a first-round tackle on a team that needs a left tackle of the future. Boom. Like, it's a rookie contract for your left, left tackle, balancing out the money that's being spent on the offensive line, which is just the dream scenario. We're going to get uh, – Pete put out a new mock today with eight picks. We're going to get to that here in a minute. Uh, remember to get this show every day. Subscribe to Locked on Browns on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast uh, world community, you need Himalaya with a personally curated playlist and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and make sure you are subscribed to the Locked on Browns podcast brought to you by the Locked on Podcast Network. And with that, Pete, as it seems a beautiful day in Ohio, as I hear the birds chirp at a window cracked, it's nice. We, we finally got in there. Um, obviously, you stuck to the script, and uh, you know, with uh, some of the simulators, whether it's Fanspeak, whether it is obviously the Draft Network one, it's it's a legit possibility. I mean, that at least Justin Lane is going to find round two, as much as we think it's insane. And so, I go ahead, kick us off here. You know, take us through the first couple of picks. Yeah, so I'll be honest. I, I did this mock this week because there were a couple, couple guys I wanted to highlight. And it, so in order for me to do that, I had to get Justin Lane with the first pick. And and yes, there it are seems a lot like of, every time we sit down to do this, we're like, all right, well, it'd be stupid that. Ju- and, oh crap, Justin Lane's there at forty. There's a lot, like a lot of these boards have him ranked at like the low forties or fifties or in some cases sixties. Even if he doesn't end up to Cleveland and he goes top twenty-five, we still look like geniuses. So we'll take that one. Right, so I, I get, took Justin Lane. I followed that up with Darno Savage, which was one of the guys I wanted to talk about uh, because I, I, I think he, in a lot of ways, is ideal for what the Browns want to do. Um, like, in, in, a, in essence, what or, this is my thought process with the secondary, and I don't know if Wilkes agrees. It's just my theory of the case, which is that Denzel Ward and Demarius Randall are really your only two true starters, guys that aren't coming off the field. The, everybody else at that point, including in this case Lane and Savage, until you know, unless they get to a point where they're, you know, entrenched as being guys you can't take off the field. Uh, Burnett, Murray, uh, Terrence Mitchell, T.J. Carey are all role players at that point, and it's just a question of when you want to use them, where you want to use them, and to do what. Um, so that is largely the thought process. I think Darnell Savage is effectively like having, like one of the reasons I like Juan Thornhill so much is because Darnell Savage is a guy who can play uh, man coverage really well. And if you're looking for an example, like Ohio State, you can see him play manned up with Paris Campbell and they're not uncomfortable doing it and he's not uncomfortable doing it. And, you know, I I don't think it's a smart idea. I think he's going to end up going a couple rounds too early, but there are people who think Paris Campbell is a first round pick. So if you've got a guy like Darnell Savage that can, please, that can, please, please go the first round Paris Campbell, please. Yes. Uh, if you've got a guy like Darnell Savage, who can cover like that, that becomes an event, immense value that you can man up so many different spots in coverage. Uh, again, the whole thing here is that the bronze are going to score points. So coverage is at a premium. Um, so, and Darnell Savage is a guy who's willing to come up and be physical another thing that works for him, but he's very, very fast, uh, athletic. The biggest things that work against him are his agility isn't top of the line and he's short. That's, you know, basically other than that, he's a really good football player. Um, I followed that up with Max Sharping, offensive tackle out of Northern Illinois. 
his athletic testing and his height is great. His athletic testing says he can be a tackle, and there are definitely instances on his tape where you can see him really force uh, put force through the ground to get out and kick slide and get out there. Uh, I think that's just an area he needs to keep getting more more consistent at. But he's got good balance, a lot of other things, and and in the same way that. I think Greg Robinson was able to take advantage, of, uh, advantage, albeit inconsistently. I think a guy like Sharping, as long as he's you know never getting beat inside or through him, he can afford to sort of push guys past the play because Baker Mayfield is such a good quarterback when it comes to stepping up, finding the hole, and making the throws to sort of you know get rid of some of that pressure himself, making it so you don't need. You know, the guy that can super, super kick slide out there and look great doing it, you need more strength at that position and the ability to at least run past, uh, run guys past plays so Baker Mayfield can sort of take care of them and he gives you a guy who can, can block down hard. Uh, I'd like to see him get a little bit more of his hips involved to generate more power from his lower body, but he's a big, strong dude. Uh, so those are the top three. Well, and, you know, this is what you brought in Campman for. You know, obviously Lane, you know, look, somehow, some way, we would love for him to be the top selection. Uh, you know, Savage, Savage runs well, and look, it's going to be the, you know, you do not want the, you back to, you know, the Cincinnati game where, you know, you had issues with the lead, where they were still able to move the ball on you. Um, we, we talked numerous times about the Carolina game where a guy like Christian McCaffrey, it's, it's almost to the point where some of these running backs who, as good as they are as receivers, they are too much of a responsibility. I- unless they are the elite, elite of the linebackers, it's almost too much to ask these guys to run and chase these guys. It's it's just too stinking much. So you get a guy like Savage who gives me almost a vibe of Byron Jones playing safety out of his first few years in Dallas before he moved back, you know, back to cornerback where he should have been always, whatever. Interesting move there by Dallas, but you want it's more athleticism, you know. It's it's more just straight speed, and like you said, he's not afraid to get his nose dirty. Um, sharping a tackle, you know, this is why you bring in a guy like Campman. Um, you know, some still some stuff that has to be refined. Um, don't be surprised if you know other teams are interested as a developmental tackle with Sharping, um, a name who it, it it it's weird because he seemed like he was he got love, and then you know. The testing and it's weird with offensive linemen because look, I mean, we did this to Zeus, uh, we did this to Zeus Jr. and you know he ended up being just fine at right tackle for the Baltimore Ravens. But a guy like uh, you know Max Sharping is is a solid, solid selection, and I, I do think you need to you know we're good. I think we're good on what we have on the inside, but you still need more because I, I don't. There's a, there's a possibility that there's not a tackle on this roster for the 2020 season, so somehow, some way, that does need to be addressed. That brings us, uh, I guess, what Pete to the uh, you know the uh, trifecta, which is round five. Right. So, uh, as a product of so many linebackers not testing or bombing testing or whatever, you know, that, after... that might be that might be the positional group where we have had the biggest change since when we started this process to where we are now. Right. So after you get past the Devons. Um, I'm down to Ben Burke-Curvin as my third linebacker, um, and that's who I took. I would love to know what David Long's athleticism is because I love him on tape at West Virginia, but I'm not, you know, especially with these mock traps, I want to be able to give you guys with give guys with data that can actually be a qualitative analysis. 
you know, we can talk about what it is as opposed to a guy like David Long where you're saying, well, he's this productive and then the rest is sort of on faith. Ben Perk Irvin has the athleticism and the production. I think he should translate to will. Um, he's a guy who needs to be protected a little bit, but he just flies around fearless, will throw his body around, uh, get knocked down, keep coming, and eventually make plays. Uh, you know, I, I think he starts out as the backup for Chris Kirksey and then ultimately could take over that spot. I think he's, you know, gives that speed element, which I think is going to be a theme of just getting faster um, on defense. But, yeah, he, he adds, you know, something I think the Browns can use, depth, uh, and then somebody who has more long-term aspirations. Then I, you know, with 155, I took Tristan Hill, the defensive tackle from Central Florida. Production-wise, not where I'd like him to be in terms of things like solo tackles, but he's really athletic. He's young. He's only 21, and he's really, really good on tape uh, in terms of being an explosive player off the ball. Uh, He can split a double team. He can cross a lineman's face and get around and go up the field. Uh, And and he's inconsistent with it, but he he can – take on double teams as a run blocker. Uh, he will get driven off the ball occasionally, but I think if you want sort of more of what Larry Ogunjobi brings, which is a nose tackle that can rush the passer a little bit, I think Tristan Hill fits in that area. Um, he, I, I think he, you know, I, I have no problem with the idea of just getting a, a pure clogger and just trying to get Larry Ogunjobi on the field for as many passing situations as possible. But if they want just more of what he brings, this may be the way to go about it. And then 170, uh, I took Saquon Hampton. And again, uh, one, this is because he's just really, really good. And two, it's because, again, using uh, a framework where Ward and Randall are really only two true starters and everybody else is a role player, Saquon Hampton would be depth for Demarius Randall, which as far as I can tell, they don't have right now. They don't have a true free safety behind him, but he could be a slot defender. Uh, He could come in and be, you know, play too high with Demarius Randall and, you know, play super conservatively if the Browns are trying to protect the lead or they get third, you know, put teams in third and super long or, you know, a late game push or whatever. Uh, But he's really athletic. He's really productive. He's aggressive. He's got length for the position. He's an ideal athlete. Uh, I, I think he is a very underrated player. Uh, that, uh, you know, and I'm finding with a lot of these guys that I ultimately ended up going with as a draft, I think there's just a lot of players that, and, and maybe the, the draft will change and teams will scoop them up way quicker than, I, uh, than I'm hoping. Uh, but I, I think Saquon Hampton is one of those players that could, you know, it's a tough class for safeties because it's so good. But I also think he could just significantly outplay his draft spot because I do think he could be a long-term starter. And I think he's got, you know, Pro Bowl potential there as a guy who could ultimately take over for Demarius Randall down the road. Um, you didn't mention anything about saving him from New Jersey. That's usually where you go with us, Pete. Well, I mean, look, those <laughs> those kids need help, and we're here to sort of bail them out. And he, he, you know, we take the best and brightest, and those guys who show you how bad they need out. And you know, Saquon <laughs> Hampton is is a fantastic example, and really about the only player worth a damn on Rutgers. Uh, so. You know he that that may be why he's being overlooked, but yeah, let's let's save another let's save another life. Yeah, I mean, but you know exactly with Hampton though. Sometimes you want to comb through what is a bunch of crap, and you know, 
I'll admit it, and I've said this before, guys. The problem with Rutgers, and ever since Shiano left to go coach the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and now Greg's been all around the freaking world, and then some, and, you know, you know, let's pour some out for his little stint, you know, with the New England Patriots, and the press release they put out, which seems like, I guess, Pete, somebody was dealing, you know, dealing in the natty. The I, natty. Just, <laughs> I just, my my immediate reaction is just him in the office going, was that wrong? Should not have not done that. Yes. It, so, is that frowned yeah. upon? Because I've yeah. been to other places where that goes on. It seems like somebody <laughs> was dillying the maid. It's just, you don't generally talk about how you need more time with Faith and family. Yes. Unless unless you were playing in somebody's backyard, you weren't supposed to be. Um, so we shall see what happens with that. But yeah, uh, Rutgers is the ultimate identity crisis. Their academic parts want no no part of the sports. Uh, That's exactly what it and, is. And and you know they're not willing to sort of invest in those things. And they want it to be you know a prestigious academic institution and, and basically say. Screw it to sports and sports, you know. And Shiano probably got as got as much out of it as as Rutgers is prepared to let them have right now. Uh, so it's you know largely a stepping stone type school, uh, you know. And the Big Ten money, they get their share of players, but it hasn't shown to be. Maybe Chris Ash will get it going, and maybe they'll take it a little more seriously now that they're getting so much money. But my my guess is it will still be a struggle and you know that infighting is going to pour out onto the field where Rutgers continues to be you know god awful. Yeah, well the problem is they get more in living here in New Jersey. The problem is is Rutgers gets more financial support for academic academic things whether it's you know studying to cure cancer things of that nature than they do. And this is where it is so stinking stupid. Um yeah, Jabril Peppers, David Njoku, Quentin Nelson um, there is so much talent in this state, which, you know, by and large, you know, is not as big as the Texas's, the Florida's, the California's, the Louisiana's, whatever. I get that. But you could field a top 20 program year in, year out. And there is talent in Delaware. There is talent in Pennsylvania that, you know, Penn State doesn't bring in. It's just so remotely freaking stupid. And they have a stadium that has a max about 60. They have an open end zone where you could turn it to 80. It's dumb, guys. But we'll let that be for it. We've, we've hit that on nauseam. And, you know, whatever. I'm sure it'll come back again. Uh, ben Kerbin, um highly productive. Undersized. That's one of the things that does worry you. Um, but like Pete said, as a will position, where maybe he's going to play more nickel. He's going to and look. You're not so concerned about your size of your linebackers right now. If you're going to continue to feed that defensive front, and even still, what you have on paper right now with your starters, it, it should be fine for him. Um, high effort, high motor guy. Very similar to Joe Schobert, where he's also a very intelligent football player as well. Um, Hill's a little bit of a wild card. You know, obviously the Central Florida. You know, his career path there didn't go, but he, he's one of those guys, and Pete, I think you'll agree with me here, is where Hill could turn out to be a much better pro than he ever was a collegian. He could be. I mean, the thing is, he does have, you know, the, you know, the enough production and the athleticism to suggest there could be success there. And, you know, for some people, success, you know, that could translate to uh, a more impactful career in the NFL than it was in college. I mean, he wasn't, you know, so a big deal. Uh, for UCF, he, he was productive. I mean, he was good for them this past year, but it wasn't like he was ever a dominant 
player that was sort of like the talk of that program, and he could be somebody that could be a really nice uh, role player, maybe even a starter down the road in the NFL. One also the thing with the AAC, there was every game you look at, it's 52-46, to 46, so nobody's looking back at the end of the day and saying, wow, there was some really good interior defensive line play. It kind of gets lost in the shuffle there. Um, guys, iTunes, rating reviews, um, five-star five star reviews, written reviews. Uh, we get a bunch of those over the last couple of days. Guys, please keep those coming. Um, it helps with the show. It helps with the growth. I've gotten, I think I told Pete, it was you know, between 25 and 30 DMs to the Locked On Browns Twitter account over the last few days of new listeners coming here. Um, you know, look, I, we kind of told you guys when Odell was traded away and the Browns did not currently possess a first-round pick, if you were looking for draft coverage, we were going to be the podcast you wanted to come to. Uh, you know, obviously, Pete, with all the work he does, for me, this is this is something we, we do all year round. I mean, you know, this will start, you know, probably by, like, June. We'll start nosing around and, you know, top four or five at each position, guys we're going to look at, you know, for the next year. And, obviously, it develops, you know, that, you know we don't, you know, Pete obviously goes extremely deep. For me, I'll keep it probably more position-specific to the, you know, the Browns. Like, I really haven't gotten Deep, deep on quarterbacks, although Tyree Jackson I do like. But iTunes, rating reviews, guys, I, I do appreciate it. And the support for the show that you guys give through that means a ton. Thank you. All right, Pete, now I guess you'll take us home. we got our last two here. Right, so, again, underrated theme here. Uh, look, whether it's simulators or, or how reality views this, uh, I took Michael Dogbay at 189. Um I will be fascinated to see where he ends up going, uh, but he's another one that has a complete profile. Co- clearly has his shit together. Uh, no you know, trouble it, whatsoever. Nope. No, he's a guy that you know. In addition to the fact he he was extremely athletic and productive, and and all those things brings you know a quality individual to your locker room that makes you know that should make guys around him better. Uh, you know, and, and, and you watch him on tape, he busts his ass. He's a guy who really works hard, and uh, that's evidenced in, in, you know, bench press really isn't sort of a chest strength measure. It's largely an indicator of how hard guys have worked, and he's a guy who crushed it in that area. Uh, and then you watch on film, and he just, he plays hard, and he could really be a nice Energizer Bunny-type player, uh, when Sheldon Richardson needs a break and, and may make his make a few plays just on being a guy who just plays his ass off and, and just raw hustle. But yeah, the, uh, you know, other than being small in terms of weight, 284 pounds, you know, he's got everything I would want from a, a prospect uh, to come in and, and play defensive tackle. And that's not limiting him to say only being a role player. I, you know, I think he's a guy who could be more than that in the NFL, I, you know, he, he's maybe the NFL views him better and he goes, you know, like round four or something. But if he's sitting here and the Browns can get him, I, I think he, you know, I think he can easily stick to a roster and, and potentially, you know, make an impact uh, as he gets comfortable with, over the course of the season. And then last, another underrated prospect, uh, Cody Barton from the linebacker from Utah. I don't know why. But people like the older one, the 26-year-old linebacker, better than him. I'm sort of baffled on this, and this is a guy that I had targeted going back to the Shrine game because um, he was productive. He had you know 12.4% solo tackle market share. You know, with big, good sizes, six two and a half, uh, three two 
237, and he and and then he did athletic testing. He can fly. He's a 46440 guy, but his agility is what stands out. Six nine three cone and a four zero three shuttle. Uh, another guy crushed it on the bench. Thirty reps. He shouldn't uh, be there in round seven. No, he shouldn't. And yet he's a guy who's I never hear talked about. And I would uh, to me, I would be thrilled to get the entire Barton family involved. Uh, Cody Barton has a brother named Jackson Barton who's uh, a year older than him. Uh, played offensive tackle. Uh, you know, Jeff Risden would love their family because the mom was a vo- volleyball player at Utah. Uh, they've just got a ton of athletic background. But anyway, Barton, if you watch his tape, uh, you will see him lined up at Sam, taking on a tight end uh, near the line of scrimmage to go force the run. And then you'll see him in, in situations where he is playing in slot in the slot in space, uh, covering a receiver out there. And his position was actually listed as Mike. So he's got a lot of experience in any way. So at worst-case scenario, he's a 237-pound missile that could play special teams. Uh, I think because the brown you know the because of his 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 familiarity and ability to play sam you know i think he could potentially be the quote unquote starting sam backer i don't think the browns are going to want to play a lot of three linebackers sets uh nor should they but when they do uh this is a guy who can come in take on a block uh you know and fly around and, and 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 do some damage in addition to the fact he's you know he gives you some credibility with the sandbacker, he's also not hurting you in terms of speed. He can run, and if you watch him on tape, it, you know there are times where his reads are a little uh, not where you want him to be. But when he's decisive and he goes, he can get there, and he's fast and he's powerful. Uh, may play a little high and stuff like that. But this is, you know, I've been harping on this for a while. Day three linebackers in this class, I yep. have a, a ton of them I really like. But he's a guy that just screams at me that, you know, you could get him two rounds earlier and be thrilled. But if you're telling me I can get this guy in round seven, a guy who can contribute at, at the very least play special teams, then I, I think you're crushing it. And, and he's, you know, he's, he's a guy who can really come in and, and, and be a factor. Well, and right now, um, you, know, uh, you know, besides the role that Jannard Avery plays, um, which could be, you know, a dual role, um, Christian Kirksey might only be t- the 2019 season. Um you figure they will extend Joe. Uh, you better extend Joe. You better slap a goddamn C on his chest. That's the way it works with him. But he's going to need some running mates at that linebacker position. I get it. It won't be a huge, huge position for this team. But a guy like Barton with the athleticism. And look, if you run under a 7-3 cone at 237 pounds at that size, it's a guy of value. Um, you know, he shouldn't be available in round 7. But if he is, it's a gift, and you take it all day long. Um, you know, Ray Ray Armstrong, it's been fantastic. But, uh, yeah, th- that's a guy that's probably going to take your spot. Um, Michael Dogbay, uh, we'll just start with, you know, maybe he's going to have to change the spelling of his last name. Um, the thing with Michael, I think, is because he is a redshirt senior, you know, a, view, you know, a little bit older, the fact that he's not, you know. Only 22. Yes, like, yes. Even but, then. But, I mean, yeah, like, sure. even by that standard, he's not. Like, he's he, not he will turn. He will turn twenty three. He will turn twenty three on May fifth, and there are a ton of pro. I mean, Juan Thornhill is twenty three, of course, um, already. So, like, yeah, even by that standard, it's you know the only thing you know if you're saying that one he's small and two you think this is as much as you're going to give him. By the way, even if he never gets any better, he's a hell of a football player right now. Again, I I get it, but to me, I'm guessing these are all people who scout traits and don't look at the. Uh, you know, don't look at production and don't look at these athletic 
athletic features as traits, whereas I do. You know, Jim Coburn obviously is big on that. Those are are traits to me, and and Dog Bay's got all of them. And you know, Dog Bay might be a you know victim of the no Senior Bowl, no Combine. Um, but guys, if you haven't check it out, Michael Dog Bay's been on the show. Fantastic young man. I mean, did things like he went went to went to Japan as part of the Temple Football Program. You know, teaching kids in Japan, you know, the football, you know, how to play football and all, all the ins and outs. Just a great, great kid. Obviously, I'm going to root for him. He's a Jersey boy here. Um, he does make his way to Cleveland. Uh, you guys better steal him, steer him to the finer and the better Italian restaurants in Cleveland. That's what the young man likes. So um, we are there. We, uh, you know, obviously Michael Dogbay round six. Uh, obviously Barton round seven. We will get to some listener questions here. We'll start with this one. Uh, Giovanni Ruiz, one more time. Um, I, I, he's just looking for any names of guys that may slide. Obviously, you know, the Browns influence, whatever. But, I mean, obviously, Pete, you went, what, I guess it was seven out of eight defensive here in this draft. That is correct. What would be a name or two offensively that would maybe change and open up some eyes? For me, it's weird because... I guess it would have to do with you know running back, but even still, that's just somebody you know you're going to want somebody capable to help out for the first eight weeks. But you know, wide receiver, tight end, it, 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 quarterback, they're not touching. It seems tough at that offensive side of the ball. It seems tough that way. What, what are we? What are we talking about in just, terms of just guys who may surprise that they slide, where the Browns may have? Sure. Uh... The, the two that jump out at me are, are Stanley Morgan Jr., uh, another guy who I don't know what he has to do unless there's some significant character flaw there. He's another guy with everything you want in a, in a, in a prospect profile, athletically and production-wise. Um, the other guy that I would say watch out for, and he certainly has his, his share of fans, uh, would be uh, Emmanuel Hall from Missouri. Uh, you know, he didn't do his agility because there was a fear that he had a, a, a sports hernia that which he didn't actually have. Uh, you know, they, he only did positional drills at his pro day because allegedly doctors told him that, you know, don't push it too hard that you end up with a situation like that. But like, you know, I, I saw people sort of getting into the spider charts and, oh wait, no, yeah, people getting into the spider charts with him. Uh, and you know, Names like Calvin Johnson and stuff are on there. Like, chill. He's, yeah, that's. I mean, that's the thing. It's like chill. It's, that's not what he is, but he is a guy who's just a hair under six two. He's two hundred and one pounds, and he runs a four three nine with a hundred and forty one inch broad jump and forty three and a half inch vertical. Those are freaky numbers. Uh, his production is not out of this world. In fact, uh, the dude they had last year was more productive. That uh, was another receiver I liked. Uh, that that went way later than I thought he would. But, yeah, I mean, I think if he's a guy who's sort of, you know, if, he, if he's hanging around like round three, round four, I would not be a huge surprise for Dorsey to go get him. I, you know, I did not take a receiver in this draft class uh, for this mock. The final one, which will come in about two weeks, I definitely will uh, because – as far as I can tell, he always takes a wide receiver for this exact reason. He's trying to, you know, capitalize on on these type of situations, but he just likes that position and is always trying to cap, trying to trying to find a guy uh, low risk, high reward. Um, 
clearly with Callaway, clearly with we'll see how much of a uh, you know how much risk with with a guy like Tyreek Hill that they may try to take a swing at a guy who's going to go you know a little bit later, uh, you know, and if he somebody who potentially may stretch the field, he may go for another burner type because that seems to be what he likes to go grab. Um, Emmanuel. world or anything but he is explosive and he is a guy who is very good at uh going and getting the ball and using his body to sort of helping him out and box out so those are the guys that sort of stand out to me yeah i because i i guess you know i mean look as much as odell is complete and you know between him and callaway obviously you can challenge any part of any secondary you probably and we'll go back to our theme of last offseason pete an insurance policy. You want somebody, look, Higgins can't do that. Landry can't do that. Maybe you want to find a way to add a pure burner here. You know, Ratley had those type of traits. Who knows yep. where he is in the in the plans. Um, and a guy that's not really spoken of much right now. Um, but you just, you know, look, I mean, you want to bring in a little bit more competition to that wide receiver room. So since we're here, we will go to this question because this one's actually pretty good here. Um Limited spaces with the addition of Todd Munkin to uh, Todd Munkin, obviously to uh, Cle- Cleveland staff this year. What changes, if any, can we expect from the offense? Any schematic changes? More spread? Empty set for Baker to cut loose, or do our improve per- uh, uh, and how do our improved perimeter weapons help out Nick Chubb? Oh, okay. There's a lot there. Well, first okay. things first. There's yeah. Orson Charles. Orson Charles, if he's here, is going to play the same role that he would play the year before. But go ahead. Yes, he's <laughs> the fullback slash psychotic energy guy, uh, and 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 you know I don't think he's a terrific football player, but I do like the method to his madness with his psychotic energy. That's- yeah, that was it. we got upset when we when we thought there was a possibility he wasn't coming back, and you know, look, you need a fifty-two, a fifty-three man guy. Orson Charles is perfect at that. But go ahead. But uh, okay, let's deal with empty. Empty is to me in the NFL the ultimate confidence in your quarterback. Um, in high school, even in college, well, more high school, but even in college a little bit, you can still do jet sweeps and stuff like that where you can make an empty formation, still be a running formation and keep defenses honest that way. But in the NFL, when you are telling the opponent that you are passing the ball like that without any protection uh, in terms of extra blockers, if you're saying empty, uh, in the true sense of the word, you have no chips you have five guys in front, and that is it. And you are saying the quarterback is going to get the ball out and going to be on time and effective and all those things. Um, I think that is more will be would be more of a product of an increased trust in Baker Mayfield as opposed to an offense, you know, a schematic impl- implication. Um, the other thing is, I think Munkin will. Do, you know, sort of encourage something that uh, Freddie liked to do anyway, which is use tight ends. Uh, Todd Munkin's big on that area. Uh, Certainly, you know, even on a team where he had uh, Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson and Chris Godwin and uh, Humphreys, the the kid who just got signed this offseason, they still... Until he got injured, used a ton of O.J. Howard and used a ton of Cameron Bray. Uh, they really, you know, he really valued that position, as did. If you wear uh, receiver number, you're going to be featured. 
Right. So, you know, I, I think he just sort of in, encourages something that Freddie likes to do anyway with the tight ends. In general, I don't know if it's going to be so much you see it schematically so much as you're going to he's going to hopefully be a guy who helps trim fat in terms of play calling, in terms of if something's working, he will, you know, based on, on the data he's compiling and all that stuff and, and in-game and those type of things, he will be more inclined to encourage uh, Freddie to stick with it. Don't, you know, don't get out of something until they, you know, beat you. Don't, you know, sort of second-guess yourself thinking they're going to adjust to something until they actually do it. Um He's, you know, and the other part of that is if there's a play or setup or whatever that's not working, you know, he'll have the the data and the awareness to be able to say stop doing this because you know it's just not there or or it's only producing you know this much as opposed to this other thing which is producing so much more. Identifying matches ma- matchups and ways to sort of exploit people. I don't know if it's you're gonna you know if you're just saying the games you know start this week and you're expecting like the Todd Munkin effect in terms of what you see from formation to formation or offensive play to offensive play. I think it just becomes more of, of, of the boxer, you know, shedding basically Buster Douglas when he got really in shape uh, for Mike Tyson, that would be the Todd Munkin effect. Every other fight, Todd Munkin, not there. Uh, so yeah, I think it just becomes a fitter trimmer, more uh, focused offense with Todd Munkin. Todd Munkin. Um, if you want to go back, go to week one last year when Tampa Bay walked into New Orleans and won the game. And their game plan was is we're going to throw as many nines as we possibly can because we feel it's going to work. Guess what? It was uh, – it was uh, obviously the Browns came in 0-0-1 in week two facing the Saints. The Saints were 0-1-1. If it had been Baker Mayfield and, well, if Josh Gordon had maybe kept his shit together – that could have been a game where you won and could have changed the whole course of the season, but it was Tyrod Taylor, but you saw Antonio Callaway, obviously the huge... Uh, th- 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 there was a weakness there, and Tampa did it week one. They just kept throwing it deep, throwing it deep, throwing it deep, throwing it deep, and hit the well enough. And look, and it, where Pete said, you know, that where Munkin's going to be like, look, just keep going with it. The, you know, the plan is working, you know, and obviously it's not always going to be just featuring the nine, but, you know, trust in the plan and what you're doing and also the variety of it, and look, O.J. How I mean, and that was the—that's the one thing that's kind of frustrating about Tampa Bay is you did—you did have Mike Evans, you did have Deshaun Jackson, you had Godwin, you had Humphreys, you had Brait, you had O.J. Howard. That's a—that is—that is a really, really good receiving skill group. But you know, the flip-flopping back and forth between the quarterbacks, and you know, now you're bringing in Bruce Arians. I, I, I just have no idea how that's going to work. But I mean. The skill group was there, and you know, for Munkin to move on, you know, have head coaching opportunities, it didn't pan out. But to come here, yeah, I mean, if he can help this and where this ship is supposed to go, that works out perfectly. We got one more, uh, and this is actually a, a you know, first time. Eddie Schwartner, um, if no one is on the board at forty nine that we feel totally comfortable with, trading out. Would you feel comfortable with it, Pete? Or you know, how do you how do you, how do we take that approach? Uh, yeah, I mean, if it's not there, you trade out. But I would just say that forty nine has a very deep bench um, of players that would look very good there. Certainly, you know, there if, are guys we're if, specifically hoping for. But if nobody's there that we truly want, then maybe it's going to open up the avenue to other positions. 
Right. Well, the other, it, it may not be trade down. It may be trade out. Um, you know, if, if somebody is willing to come up and offer you, Gerald you McCoy. Know, well, sure. Just but a I prime mean, example gotta, with a contract change. Yada, yada, yada. You've got to magically make the money work. But uh, that or, you know, you get into a situation where somebody wants to offer you like a, you know, a two next year and a, and a, and a four or something like that, you know, to move to take that pick. That may be an option where you're, you're, you're gaining more assets. You're, you're, you're keeping the number of assets you have this year uh, while gaining a better asset next year. Uh, because again, this is about maximizing a four-year window. It's not all; ha- it does not all have to be right now. As much as you know, that sort of is the trend. It feels like everything's push, 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 push. Uh, we got to go all in now. But yeah, I mean, it, it, trading down doesn't bother me at all. I, I, you know, the third round, it may, you know, and let's let's work in that scenario. You know, the the uh, pick they have in the third round right now is 80 that's a that's a long way off um if they want to get into the late 60s early 70s uh and get something handsome in in return for that whether it's a player or you know just more draft assets for the future that means you can potentially get you know an early pick in the third round maybe that's where you get your development off in fact maybe you take max sharping there uh, or you go for a guy like Saquon Hampton in that area of the draft, or or a linebacker there. But you know, I, I'm I would be inclined if I'm not trading out or I'm not trading it for a player. I would be inclined to move down, but uh, no, not going lower than the third round pick they have already. Yeah, and you, know, it, it's going to be difficult um, because that's going to be a lot more names coming out. But it will open up the other other avenue of you know, what their board may be, you know, whether it's a wide receiver. Because look, if if you're saying the cornerback position is dried up, you're saying the safety position is dried up. Offensive tackle may become more appealing. A wide receiver may become more appealing. Um, a pass rusher may have felt that felt fallen that you did not expect to fall. So it, it opens up a ton as far as that is going to go out. So it, it does make for some interesting interesting like a scenario and that was actually a pretty good question i mean um maybe linebacker becomes more of a a, a possibility there at 49 and look you got to play your board accordingly and obviously look this is what they do you know john and his staff obviously you know they're not morons they're going to play every possible avenue um pete anything before we put a bow on this sucker here i don't think we miss much not uh, not today. Uh, we're apparently they're, they're going to announce which players are going to be invited to the draft uh, on NFL Network because they desperately need people to watch that network, keep this thing going. Wait, uh, tonight? Yeah, let, or, or may have already happened. Uh, so there's going to be a red carpet for the NFL draft before these. The before there is the red carpet for the NFL draft. Is that the way this is less. going? So we can see if anybody's gonna gonna push Jalen Strong for the longest wait in the in the uh, in the uh, green room. I believe seventy is the record. Uh, so we'll see if anybody puts a threat on that. Other than that, I think you wasn't know, wasn't wasn't it though Shaq Griffin or no? Was he in the Was he in the green room? I think he was in the green room. If he was, then he was day three. Well, why, well why, don't, why don't you dig that up here real quick? See if Shaq Griffin was in the green room. 
Um, guys, uh, Pete's work over at NFL Spin Zone. He does a ton of work over there. Um, and look, uh, guys, uh, we appreciate it. And look, you know, uh, you know, if you guys want to start, maybe we'll get the T-shirts going here soon. If you want the Pete Smith's an idiot T-shirt, maybe we'll get that one going. I mean, you guys, are, I love it. Whatever. But guys, he works his tail off, and he's always there to help this product grow. And as many, as much as some of you people don't like him, that's fine. A lot of people do appreciate it. Look, we're, we're pure, we're candid, we give our opinions. Um, not everything is rainbows and butterflies, not everything is pom-pom waving, and that's, I, I think, why the majority of our listenership has come this way is because they understand the fact that we are going to tell you our opinion, whether it is pro-Browns or not. And look, some things, it, look, it's still 7, 8, and 1. It is not there yet. If you tell me there's three Lombardis and we're, you know, part, you know, picking apart who the third running back is, yeah, that's fine. I get it. I truly do. But uh, follow Pete Smith. Obviously, read all the work over at NFL Spin Zone because he puts a ton of effort into it. Any work on the Shaq Griffin stuff for me? Pete? Yes, he did get invited, uh, so he was in the green room. I, I believe, if memory serves, he was not there day one. I think he basically just came for day two and day three. Uh, so 141 would be the record in that case. Which is, you know, look, I mean, that's – it's not a measuring stick, but, I mean, if he's the one that holds it, whatever it is, what it is. But God bless him. The guy's going to go into year two of the NFL. Obviously, him and his brother. Fantastic, fantastic story NFL-wise. Like I said, make sure you're following Pete Smith. The Lockdown Browns Twitter account. We always keep it follow back. I get a ton, a ton of feedback through the DMs over there. Look, for all of you people who are not huge on Twitter, send the DMs over there. Um, I have no problem responding to those. Follow me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Um, like I said, iTunes rating reviews, they are fantastic for the show. I appreciate all the assistance you guys do for me over there. This has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound, LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.